0: Pandemic's Giving! What are you watching this holiday break?
1: Uh, I am Katie Rich, and the new season of The Crown is the gift I keep giving myself when I have 50 minutes or so to spare. I know how it ends already, so you can't spoil The Crown for me, which means I get to watch it on my own timeline.
2: I'm at Patches, and apparently I'll be re-watching 30 Rock, which we did on started on a whim this weekend uh, for, for the unwoke comfort of Tina Fey comedy.
0: It's hey, a it's me, David the Seven, and I will be sadly watching the final season of the Venture Brothers again. Ooh.
3: Uh, and I am David Ehrlich, and I am very excited on Wednesday night to watch Happiest Season, Clea Duvall's romantic comedy with uh, Kristen Stewart and Mackenzie Davis. I hear very good things, uh, and I'm waiting until I'm in the 24 hours of vacation mode that i'm allotting myself to watch it
0: gentlemen you can't fight in here this is the war room fine i can hear you now dimitri clear and plain and coming through fine
4: i'm coming through fine
1: too eh good then well then as you say we're both coming through fine good well it's good that you're fine then and
4: i'm fine i agree with you it's great to be fine it's Uh, a a podcast
1: Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It's episode 326. It's Pandemic 37. It's the week of Wednesday, November 25th, 2020. That's the day that in 1949, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer first appeared on the music charts. still around.
3: Rudolph! the red-nosed reindeer. Never heard of is that that how it. Goes? I'm so yeah. I'm so sick of you Christians and all your Christmas shit. And you know why? It's because every fucking year I have to review nine unwatchable Christmas movies, <laughs> including this week. That sounds- uh, The Christmas Chronicles 2 and last week of the week before, who knows, is old blur fat man. Uh, <laughs> <which I'm laughs> I don't think the they I I don't, I don't think you this. should count Fat Man in the Do Christmas they all modes? really d-
0: like drill down on the Christianity?
3: They do not. Uh, but they—they they all make me, you know, and one of the few things that make me proud to be Jewish every year. That I just—I'm so apart from this. I have no blood on my hands, not even the blood of Christ. Mel Gibson. Uh, wow. And, wow. Um, yeah, and so uh, I'm happy to. And what? Uh, super intelligence not a Christmas movie, but it is a rancid piece of shit. Anyway, wow. <laughs> I don't think you, us up on that one, just for the it, record. That, that, that's, that's
1: a uh, <laughs> this real quick. That, that's,
3: that's a, a Wednesday. Tease. That's a Wednesday morning Fargo, so this Ooh. podcast can't go up tomorrow, but if it goes on Wednesday, oh, okay. we're fine. I Fair.
1: Um, well, last week was a quarter quell, which is weird because it feels like it happened a really long time ago. I don't know what made this past week feel like an eternity, but hello. Do we have any news hey. this week?
3: Yeah, we actually do. My computer's being a little slow in booting up the iTunes, but we had... I saw that we had one. Someone vamp. Ooh. Da-da-da-da.
0: Da-da-da-da-da-da. Mm. I hear the devil's brain that the, no hard and on, and the, the Yoda Yoda goes
1: hard yeah. on Christianity. So you can hit that one, David. The Dolly Parton Netflix Christmas movie, but you're not No, Dolly to hate Dolly
3: Parton, Dolly Parton so. is an absolute saint, and I do not care if she just proselytizes for ninety minutes on that. It is not the <laughs> it is not the volume of Christian themed content in a Christmas movie that determines its quality, uh, as is evidenced by both the Christmas Chronicles two and Fat Man um
1: what about um what about the night before which has uh jews as well the night
3: before you mm-hmm. feel you feel like the way you say that it sounds like a trigger warning like has jews <laughs> um, <laughs> night, night before i'm pretty sure uh, it works
1: out well for the jews i can't really remember the plot of that it, it
3: does indeed uh the wardrobe in particular i have often spoken of mm-hmm, my love for the, the, the star of david sweater that seth rogan wears in which i happily own a swag copy um it's not it does not qualify as a hanukkah movie alas we are still stuck with uh, eight crazy nights and the last scene of call me by your name but it is good for the jews <laughs> in that respect um seth rogan yeah, that in last general, scene of call me
1: by your name makes hanukkah look like a real bummer
3: oh yeah <laughs> that scene is really just about what it feels like to be a kid celebrating hanukkah where you like get a gift <laughs> like the phone call with Army <laughs> hammer or the letter from Army hammer whatever it is um but uh it's also Aren't we looking up reviews sadness or something? yeah we are
1: we're still vamping i think uh
3: no i've, I've got the review here uh, it's EC <laughs> snyder i don't know if this is our good friend eric snyder um it, it's not written in his uh you know, unmistakable voice but also feels like too much of coincidence not to be e. snyder i don't know what eric's middle name is anyway let's say just in case ec snyder so i was about to choose a random episode to listen to when i noticed you had no new reviews so here i am writing yeah. a review so david has to read five stars smiley face i enjoy all your contributions equally and love the show see this is not the kind of review the eric snyder i know and love would read would leave but we are happy to get it all the same uh thank you very much ec snyder he was very helpful eric
1: snyder's uh, twitter handle is definitely eric d snyder as well well. there you
3: go i don't know his
1: middle name but i know the initial
3: d um well thanks for leaving a review it was short and sweet (laughs) Uh, it is true this is our first People like releases. the show.
1: People like the show. The first We're time happy listeners about that. must know. Yeah. Gotta
3: know. Gotta know. Gotta know. Uh, I'm only doing my
2: through the tunnel of the election and I'm looking for a movie podcast. This is the first time they've ever listened to our show.
3: Wow,
1: I, I was say, trying to my, my, my podcast listening habits have changed dramatically since the election. Maybe that's the second. You stopped
3: listening week, to Fighting boy. the Worm. Is that what you are saying? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was trying I to do the, my yeah. ultra niche imitation of Conan O'Brien's producer Jeff Ross, which is an imitation that Conan O'Brien himself has been doing for as long as I've been uh, sentient. I think twenty years now or more. Uh, I was like, gotta go. No uh Real Conan heads out there know what I am talking about. Anyway. <laughs> let's let's get on with it.
1: Let's do a show. Okay. Uh, so in a minute, we're going to talk about a whole lot of movies that are out there right now for you to watch. But we're going to focus on one of them for now which is Hillbilly Elegy. It is out on Netflix this week, I believe on Wednesday, kind of like queuing up your Thanksgiving viewing. In theory, you could watch it with your families who got together for Thanksgiving, which we hope you're not doing so that you can stay safe. You could, in theory, watch it on Netflix Party, I think. Can you watch whatever you want on Netflix Party? I've never tried it.
2: Yes, but it's no longer called Netflix Party. It rebranded it itself, possibly because you're, you can use other things besides Netflix, and also Netflix came after them. It's called now Teleparty.
1: Oh, that's worse. Uh, well, if you would like to teleparty Hillbilly Elegy, I would encourage you not to. But you know what? If you're a fan...
2: <laughs> this is a actually, prestige film. This was a this is an adaptation of a huge book by acclaimed director Ron Howard
3: and producer it's Brian true. Grazer. Uh, well, With uh, just to stars to the stars Glenn Close and Amy Adams. The, the book is not by Ron Howard. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's an acclaimed it book and directed...
2: For... I thought I said it directed by Ron Howard. Sorry, I, should, I my, my grammar there. No, I just off. want
3: to make sure it, it's perfectly fine, Patches. Uh, you are you're forgiven. I'm just trying to make sure that anyone out there who oh, is sorry, I ain't this so with...
2: smart as you, David. <laughs> you, you Yale got,
3: boy, you, you Columbia got the boy. To do. You got to go to New Haven. Hey, don't don't out me like that. But Wait, uh, David, definitely not alienating I, myself here.
1: David, can I ask you what ran through your mind in the early scene where J.D. Vance is, uh, you know, he grew up in Appalachia. He's at a fancy dinner at Yale. He looks in front of him and he sees all the forks and he can't figure out which one to use. David, can,
3: can he, this where is did the leading you learn question, where to start with your forks? <laughs> you, if anyone, know exactly what was going through my mind. I, you start I from sure, the
1: outside and work your way in. Did no one learn from Kathy Bates in Titanic in 1998? Even
3: hillbillies you. saw Titanic. I'm sorry. You do I not, know. You you do not make a billion dollars or six hundred million dollars in the U.S. box office in 1997 money without the hillbilly audience. With hey, they they were still spinning the zoetrope or whatnot. <laughs> so, yeah. They didn't have those moving pictures. Everyone knows you work from the outside in. This and it so was offensive. also was just like how that scene is so wild because they really just sincerely straight down the barrel treated as if. Uh, this kind of thing has never happened before, and this is the first time audiences anywhere—and not not Red wine? just in reference to
0: Titanic—but
3: it's just like it's it's really it's really broad as the side of a barn. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like There's I know of, uh... I know less about. And, and I, I really feel like I can't use the term, even after seeing this movie, Hillbilly, without quotes around it. It really just continues to feel pejorative in some way, um, in a way that people from the coast should not be allowed to say. But no, I feel ma- like I know.
2: Ma- Mama says Mama. people. No, people,
3: people. Right.
2: No, um, Mama. No, right? Mama. I was right. What's Mama? meemaw A lot of you people said... say meemaw
3: I said meemaw No, I did. I meant I Mama. I... See, Mama. I fell on my own. meemaw Yeah. yeah. Um, I think it's mammal. It, it's because it it's rhymes mamaw. with papal.
1: You have said it two different ways, Patrick. <laughs> it's me meow. It.
3: <laughs> but I, I, I do. I feel like I know less about whatever pocket of this country J D. Vance allegedly comes from now than I did before having seen this movie. It has only just muddied yes. the waters. Do you know after watching the film
2: where he is from? Does, do you recall that at all? Well, Ohio, they mentioned, yeah, but his Ohio.
1: family is from Kentucky. Like right, which, which has, is
3: mentioned in the most passing of passing in the beginning of the movie, before they just leave Kentucky forever, and it just settles in Middleton, uh, Ohio. It for, is
1: weird. It feels like it's very much trying to be like, well, I'm from Kentucky. It's like, but you're you're from Ohio. Like, I get that Ohio doesn't have the same, like, cultural valence as Kentucky when you imagine hillbillies, but, like, be about where you're from, man. It's fine. Well, that is...
4: Uh,
2: already mentioned that he went to Ohio State and someone yes. says, mm, well, there are a lot Katie, of Katie, the,
3: the ethos of being about where you're from runs deep in this movie <laughs> in, in many different ways.
1: Ye- I mean, this is a movie... I, I, Richard Lawson, my colleague, reviewed it and basically re- described it as like a great man who is constantly held down by the women in his life, which is not what it's trying to be about, but it really is the story about like Glenn mm. Close and Amy Adams as his grandma and his mom, and his mom is a drug addiction, and his grandma is like tough but loving and... It's it's about how he's this exceptional boy who comes out of these bad circumstances, and then like it ends with him like going to go work at a New York law firm. Spoiler alert! That's triumphant ending for this. Can we
3: take a step back just for context? Because I think the context is really everything of the story. Uh, "Hillbilly Elegy," as many people might know, was first a memoir published by J.D. Vance uh, in the summer before the election in 2016. And it became the sensation because people felt the sort of even the the liberal you know book club type people out there uh, saw it as a uh, a bridge between right and left America, an explainer of sorts uh, in the Vox tradition for this pocket of Americana that would help people understand uh, what it was about Trump's rhetoric and politics that were attracting them. And it felt like a a good liberal mitzvah to read this and better understand where they were coming from. Unfortunately, uh, J.D. Vance's entire philosophy, and this is going to be a bit reductive. J.D. Vance, if you're listening, sorry, and go fuck yourself. But the uh, feeling is generally that he... His whole ethos was, I got out, everyone else should be empowered to do the same thing, pull yourself up by your fucking bootstraps and and be like me. He completely um, delegitimized the idea that there were some sort of societal factors that were contributing to poverty in this place, that uh, the government had any responsibility to look out for the welfare of the poorest people in this country. Oh, yeah. Uh, right, at the expense of what eventually plays like a sociopathic turn in this movie, abandoning his own family. I mean, and there are plenty of good reasons, as Lisa's depicted in this film, for why he might want to sever ties with his mother and some other people in his life. But uh, the way that it is, the way that it's written in the book is, is, you know a lot more straightforward and not in the language of a typical hollywood biopic it is um suffused with political commentary that you can now get for free on his uh, completely Republican twitter feed uh repugnant might not be the right word <laughs> it's just like it's part noxious and like part just inexplicably weird i mean this is a guy who on the eve of the hillbilly elegy embargo was tweeting about how um how daylight savings like he couldn't have sex during daylight savings or no one could and it was going to reduce pregnancy rates well, in this country. Well he was
1: making like a lame joke about how daylight savings impacts fertility rates which is like alright fine like daylight savings sucks but it was like as, as a nationalist who is concerned about our birth rate you're like hang on man. He that's is that's just about. Like, I'm really you glad you to used, go there.
3: you use that n-word because he is an unrepentant nationalist. That's his whole shtick. He's trying to sort of what make What
1: does that mean Well he's trying exactly.
3: to save that rhetoric from the, the white that is, even though he is a very white man, that is usually associated with it. Um, and, but I, I think that is a, a fool's errand uh, and a futile task. I mean, all right. Well, what is, we're, we're, a we're going down anyway, the real life path. Anyway, but I feel anyway, like it's
2: worth talking about the movie.
3: So let me just say, not, in, not in closing, in politics. closing for my speech, anyway. Webster's Dictionary dif- defines elegy <laughs> as the, the difference for this movie is that. Ron Howard uh, and his screenwriter Vanessa Taylor have sanded off all this, all, all the stuff really that we just talked about, and made a hyper-conventional, um, glossy, typical—you know, for lack of a better term—Oscar bait-like movie that cuts between two periods of time when J.D.'s a teenager and then this pivotal moment in his life when he's applying for a job at a law firm um, at, while he's at Yale Law, uh, and he has he's summoned back home because his mom Amy Adams has had a. Uh, uh, so deed, um, and it's cuts between those two, and it's all about you know who, you aren't who you come you aren't what
2: actually really about nothing, up in the and end. I think that's the problem, yeah. right? Like yeah. take it from it's there. So it's so conventional that it has somehow nothing to say except the tropes of addiction stories and the tropes of uh, of escaping your own world. This movie is non-existent; like it's just floating through a time. I had I have no memories of it, and I just watched it like on my yeah. phone parked in a car. I'll, I'll be honest. Yeah. Um, <laughs> real
1: exhaustive. Yeah. I mean, it's about like this woman, like Amy Adams character. And like, we can get into this. Like, I don't think Amy Adams is especially good in this movie. And I think she's a very good actress. And I don't think like, she's kind of like, she looks a lot.
2: Actual Bev Vance. I'll she tell you does. that. Cause there's pictures of her. Or at the yeah, end of the and, movie. <laughs> good cast. And
1: good close. Like they, they did. Yeah. They did I well just don't that.
3: think it's a good role. I don't know if there's another actress no. who could have made that role appreciably better. It's just there's nothing for her to really do. Would be a tempest in a teapot, and uh, yeah, and kind of yeah, make no, life difficult.
1: The whole the whole movie is about her being unpredictable and being like, "Are you mad at me?" I'm gonna run this car off the road, and you're like, "All right, I get that." That is probably something, and that it's not from her perspective where
2: we can feel the nuance, or we could feel the sensation of her drifting back and forth from functional to someone who would roller skate down a hospital while high off her ass, like.
1: Yeah. Who knows
2: what she's going through except the most obvious, I'm on drugs and now I'm mad and I don't know what's going on, but I'm going to tell you it's all going to be okay later. And just like, it's so conventional.
1: Yeah, and it's, like, set in the middle of this, like, massive opioid crisis, which has been, like, covered a lot in a lot of different media, and it doesn't really take her story as being part of that at all. Like, she's a very, like, capable nurse who has, like, very ready access to drugs, which is what has created a lot of opioid addictions for people, but it's just very, like, my mom had a problem. That's it. That's as far as I'm willing to examine this, and it it, it takes the ability of this story to be about any kind of broader portrait of America and just, like, cuts it off at the knees.
3: Yeah, I mean, and I do want to say, though— (laughs) i I was about to say uh that a a beautiful segue that i actually listen the the narrative around this movie and the narrative around basically every glenn plus movie until if and when she ever wins an oscar will uh, unfortunately be uh, about her and this is true for amy adams as well uh sort of striving for an oscar and maybe there's some truth that i mean maybe they are angling for one and this movie does feel like conventional Oscar bait but I do think it's a little bit of a disservice to what Glenn Close is doing in this movie a performance that while I think Richard's criticism of the movie is a fair representation of uh maybe how J.D. Vance himself sees his own life story uh he is uh he, he is just very high on his uh, his own accomplishments and they all seem to come at the expense of the other people in his life um, or, you mm-hmm. know, in spite of the other people in his life, I should say. But I don't think the movie agrees with that. I think that, uh, you know, I think Glenn Close is in a performance that has a pretty low ceiling on it just because it's so affected and it's whatever. I, I think Glenn Close brings a real humanity to it and is, is really strong and Mima is the... Um, most human Mama. character. Mama, Mama is the most human character we have here. And I, I think there's a moment when, you know, she's stuck in this sort of like cyclical. The women in this family had been sort of uh, on the receiving end of a lot of violence and the poverty that was intertwined with it. And, um, she is really just, was, ended up passing a modicum of that down to her own daughter but is really striving to do the best that she can for her grandson and there's a really beautiful moment where i mean it's a little bit hokey but she uh he gets a good grade on a test and there's just quiet beat in this bombastic movie where everything is is in 72 point font where she just sort of like leans against the refrigerator and looks at his math test and like feels a, a jewel of hope in uh, what he might be able to accomplish with his life and I, I think there's a real there's a real uh, source of humanity there that I, I agree with you, it's, and you you yeah, almost I wish that
2: the movie could be about her and young JD more. Like the uh, there's a scene again, super hokey, where they're watching Terminator, and oh my they God. talk about oh their God. life in terms of Terminator. Also, we get to see Glenn Close say. Uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> you're either a good Terminator or you're a bad Terminator.
3: No, she's new- La Vista baby.
1: Oh yeah, that too.
2: Um, but, but, but yeah, okay, she wait, talks wait, about her. Quick shout out her, to
3: the neutral yeah. Terminators out there. The new. Oh, we're all the neutral Terminators on this podcast. <sighs> um,
2: yeah, she talks about uh, Amy Adams, Bev, her daughter being a you know a bad Terminator, and that. And then JD says like, oh, but Papa was a good Terminator, not all the time, and and it's again hokey, but like there's something there about. Who, who, which DNA got passed down and where are the failures and who's trying to be good people and like if we were really really entrenched in her perspective this shared experience of like reparenting from both directions parenting up and parenting down this this woman who has lost her way like that's interesting but because it kind of cuts through time we have to go back to older JD has to get to his law school interview or his internship poor interview poor Frida Pinto like, as his girlfriend All this stuff sucks uh, like coaching. Oh. I haven't seen Frida Pinto in a movie in a while that was that was nice I guess yeah, it's, asking Frida her a Pinto
1: a year to, to play an role. American it's just not nice like she has very many good qualities but like sounding like a natural American is not one of them and it just doesn't see like
3: well, there's know. also not, not a this. half second in this movie where I believe that Frida Pinto or any Frida Pinto character could possibly be interested in the JD Vance that we meet in this film no Shout he's
1: out. such a n- non-existent yeah. nothing in as a character.
3: Can I tell you what I learned today? Which, Katie, this may be something you have known for a very long time, but it was news to me. Which mm. is that Haley Haley Bennett, who is a very fine actress, who plays uh, J.D. Vance's sister in this movie, is she probably
1: comes off maybe the best in
3: this movie. I mean, she's, she doesn't have much good. to do, and so she is no. kind of uh, absolved. Um, but she, in real life, uh, is has a baby with Joe Wright, who she does left this his is wife recent, too. Who left his wife to be with her. And this is a matter of public record. Mm -hmm. You read about it in the courts. And then Joe Wright, who has quite a tempestuous uh, personal life, it sounds, had left Rosamund Pike, like on the altar, essentially, to be with the woman he married and then eventually left for Haley Bennett. I learned this all in a matter of seconds today and it kind of blew my hair back. Anyway, I don't want to pry. I don't want to gossip, but there's a lot going on over there.
1: I know. It's uh, it's I, I don't like it when people whose work I admire seem to behave poorly to the people in their lives. But that is why you
3: know, I'm Mary not coming at this from a place it. of judgment, this even is the though problem it seems like judgment Hollywood would be easy elites. to make. This is the problem what? with the coastal Wild. elites.
1: I just realized that Haley Bennett is also in devil all the time. So she's really like oh, hitting like the hillbilly. Yacht scene but I do want to <laughs> shout <laughs> out you know, in, in
3: fairness to Haley Bennett is extraordinary as the lead in a film called Swallow, which came out this year after being a Tribeca last year and is definitely something that people should seek out uh, for year-end kudos and such. Uh, so it wasn't a, this year wasn't a complete wash for her, professionally
2: anyway. Well, I would say that Glenn Close, dressed in old lady makeup, was really good as uh, Grandma Arbuckle in all of those Garfield cartoons from the uh, 1980s. With uh, John and Doc Boy, you, ever, you know what I'm talking about.
1: I have no. Look idea up a
2: picture of the grandma from Garfield cartoons, and you will see you'll see what I mean. I, me. I, I don't,
3: I don't, don't even need, need to look let it hey, up Beth. to know what patches. Like I can see it in my mind's eye. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. Like, it's exactly the, John, the cartoon. The version. John Hare is so a perfect match for Glenn Close's wake in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah,
1: I mean, it was also in so- something I've never heard of called. The red sea diving resort
3: oh boy i, I had oh was that a movie, chris that evans movie, movie? yes chris it's evans. a netflix yeah. movie it's uh it ceased to exist as i was watching it to review <laughs> like in real time you could feel it sort of ethering away as every scene faded behind you um wow sorry as... i thought we
1: were done and
3: no we can just... but katie do you want to do you want to just give a final word as to what you know how this project turned out um and uh, if you think it's something we're going to be talking about in terms of the awards race for the next couple
1: of months, I think hillbilly elegy will vanish from sight as a favor to everyone involved in it, and uh, no one will get nominated from it. Although nothing, say, I'll say that the supporting actress race is weirdly thin um, for you know the
3: weirdly well,
1: movies that are out this year. <laughs> I mean, supporting actress is often unfairly thin, but like this year, there just aren't a lot. This of year, I think so, it's like, like, uh, understandably there thin. Yeah, exactly. Um, but so and people, like best actors got plenty of like competition, so does best actress. Supporting actress is just suffering. So maybe we see Glenn close there, but yeah, no one's gonna win their Oscar for elegy because Netflix has too much else to promote and they don't need to embarrass themselves by flogging this. They can just focus on other stuff.
2: Oscar for Mama.
1: Mama. <coughs> Oscar
2: Mimaw.
1: for Mew <laughs> Mjolnir. <laughs>
0: Hey, it's
2: that time of the year again when people are putting their end of the year list together. Whether you do it somewhat professionally uh, or you are an amateur who does it for fun, I don't know. I'd, like, I'd want to hear. Like any. me.
1: Yeah. <laughs> no, no one's asking me to do a top ten professionally. It's just uh, for yeah, this podcast. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's a
2: good well, point. We're semi-professional here, um, but you know, some people just want to do their letterbox list and share it with friends. Well, that's what I mean by amateur. Uh, anyway, it's it's list season. It's top tens of the year season. And this year, I don't know about you guys. Well, David sees everything, but I, I'm struggling. I really don't.
3: This year is a struggle for several reasons. Um,
2: my struggle. It's 10 volumes of my attempt to rewatch every Netflix movie that came out before the end. Yeah, I, but
3: I'm I'm releasing this book uh, back in the original German <laughs> title. Just, <laughs> it feels yeah, appropriate. I was going to
0: say. Let's 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 struggle struggle into my struggle books.
3: Wait, was was Mein Kampf about uh, Hitler's desperation to find time to watch Romanian documentaries like Collective and uh, Pedro Costa's. It was
0: about it was uh, about how he couldn't yeah. dry brush properly. Oh. All of his brushes were just too wet. Wow.
2: Anyway, it's list-making season and I want to pick all of your brains on what I should catch up on. Let's all name a movie that our audience may want to catch up on before the end of the year.
0: I want to go first, because I'm not going to answer the prompt directly. Instead, I'm going to talk to my mother. Hi, Mom. Uh, I know you've been listening to the podcast. It's a pandemic. Your son's on a podcast. Uh, But you've also been catching up on lots of movies and stuff on streaming services, uh, which is great. Uh, But here, before the year ends, uh, you have to get one more movie that I've been telling you to check out uh, since I saw it after... Attempting to see it at two film festivals, you can finally stream Nomadland on December 4th. And I think this goes for everybody, including my mom. I think it's a very uh, nice movie that uh, people should check out. And also, a lot of it takes place, you know, like, outside and freedom. And you're like, oh, cool. That's nice. I wouldn't want to live like a lifestyle that was like free of the virus. But then also brings you, you know, to uh, reckoning with uh, some blue-collar realities and some realities about aging in America. And I think it's a it's a good watch. So make sure, and uh, you can't watch it right now when you're listening to this podcast, but make sure and put it on your calendar as VOD, December 4th. Well, speaking of harsh realities, Nomadland hits theaters on December 4th, but not <laughs> VOD.
2: You gotta be kidding oh. me. No. Well, maybe you can use your camper
0: to pull up to a drive in and see no redway. <laughs> yeah,
1: You're
2: why are the they the not doing da-
0: I was under the impression they I'm were doing sorry. day and date and that is un that is sad.
1: It presumably won't be too long, although as far as I know, Tenet still isn't on VOD, which means I still haven't seen it. Tenet
2: comes out in December. And but okay. I mean I guess the bad sign is that Fox Searchlight put uh that David Copperfield movie with Deb Patel in the theaters, I think in Late August or early September, right after New Mutants, and it just came out on VOD last week.
1: Son yeah. of a bitch! It's great have, though. Uh, That's my sub recommendation. As David Copperfield is terrific.
0: Oh, hey! I'll, I, I got you to I'll another wreck. <laughs> anyway, but, sorry, mom. I'll be back on this podcast uh, <laughs> telling you when Nomadland is actually out. <laughs>
1: Uh, can I go next? Yeah, Katie. Went in. Uh, I was Jump gonna pick in. the. I was gonna pick the Nest, which was Ooh. also out in theaters for a while this fall and is now out on VOD. Um, and I finally got to see it. It is this marital drama with Carrie Coon and Jude Law, directed by Sean Durkin, who directed Martha Marcy May Marlene and was this huge sunny sen- sensation ten years ago. And this is the first movie he's made since then. And I feel like David might have a better sense of like what he's. He
2: did a British he did his TV- Yeah, he tried and- to make a Little House on the Prairie movie. I know that.
1: I would watch that. He also
2: produces his gang's other movies. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, like his whole crew has, like, kind of gone on to do a lot, but he himself has not directed another movie since then. Um, But it is very, like, horror movie, but the monster is the marriage, not, like, the haunted house, even though the house feels kind of haunted. Monster's Capitalism. Um, Monster's Capitalism, yes. And, like, imposter syndrome and, like, not knowing your true self and all these these different things. It's got these, like, true, two amazing performances, Carrie Coon, the queen, and then Jude Jude Law, who, like, I, you know... Swarmiest. I mean, I love the talented Mr. Ripley. I have loved, like, slimy Jude Law for such a long time, and this is such a good use of, like, not just his, like, suaveness and, like, kind of, like you know smooth talker guy but like his like insecurity and desperation that's kind of always there behind it it's just like so well calibrated it's such a good movie uh and i hope that if you watch it on vod you get better quality than the screener that i watched where all the blacks were really like muddied and hard to see and the digit like they got like little pixely um because it was it's beautiful a in movie. theaters
2: when i played sundance yeah. Eight billion oh, yeah. years ago. God, yeah. <laughs> I mean,
1: it would be a great movie to see in theaters because it's really a whole enveloping mood. Um, well, that's so if never you, going to you, happen. You watch it at home. So... Turn off the lights. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Don't don't wait for don't wait to see it in theaters. Watch it at home. Just turn off all the lights and really focus. It's it's worth it.
2: David, how about you? What's the one movie we need to see before we well, make our lists?
3: I I am going to play by the rules and pick only one, but I do want to stress looking over my list of the year's best films that there have been a lot of really good movies this year and picking any one of them really feels have. like it's coming at the expense of so many more. Uh, but, oh,
1: we'll do our top tens. There's yeah. time.
3: Um, oh, there's time, indeed, on our <laughs> top tens. Uh, thank you for saving me uh, the trouble of having to shout out that movie. Uh, no, I uh, the movie, for whatever reason, just because it's the mood I've been in, uh, that I want to highlight is Baby Teeth. Baby Teeth. Uh, which is an IFC movie that came out the summer uh it is an australian movie starring what's her face uh i know all these things but i'm less tired um you know the girl from sharper objects she has a name she was in little women oh eliza scanlon thank you uh eliza scanlon it is i i mean describing this movie i feel like is a disincentive to seeing it it's like a kooky australian uh romantic drama about a teenage girl who has a very bad case of cancer um, and uh, I'm only laughing because I picked like the worst terminology <laughs> possible very, um, bad, very case bad case of cancer, cancer. And, she's
0: got the cancers
3: no well, I was going to use other words but I, I didn't want to uh, I, I couldn't remember how much of things are spoilers and whatever <laughs> um, but uh, the and, and she falls in love with like a Shia LaBeouf like uh, man who's a little bit too old for her he's in his younger 20s uh and they have a very off-kilter romance under the very watchful eye of her parents, who are played by Essie Davis of the Baba Duke Fame and Ben Mendelsohn of Everything Fame. Um and it is just an extraordinarily uh, honest and alive movie. I think uh um uh Eliza Scanlon is incredible in it. Toby Wallace, who plays the Child Buff type. Outcast who falls in love with her and they have this bizarre romance uh, won a Best Breakthrough Actor award at Venice last year and it's incredibly well deserved. Um, they, it's just like a, it, I'd never really seen a cancer drama like it. Um, it really vibes on energy all its own as an incredible soundtrack uh, and it, it's really, really beautiful, even though it is sometimes as depressing as it sounds. Um, but I was given how cut and dry a lot of American thinking can be about this sort of thing I was worried that Baby Teeth would never see the light of day in the United States and I guess it barely did but uh, the people who have seen it have really seemed to respond to it Um, and I don't think it advocates for uh, um, (laughs) you know uh, illegal relationships but it handles this one honestly it's a beautiful movie Baby Teeth
1: Alright Patches Um, Let's see. We already talked
2: about Hillbilly Elegy. Um, (laughs) So, uh, well, I have I have like two Super Little movies. One is To the Stars. Did anyone, David? Did you see To the Stars?
1: At Astra. To that Astra.
2: (laughs) It came out last year. We talked about
3: it on our quarter quell last week last oh no,
2: <laughs> no i'm talking about martha stevens very very tiny little movie that played at sundance two years ago finally came out from samuel Goldwyn. it was shot in beautiful black and white and they um, released a color version earlier this year so i'm not sure it'll it'll play as well but um it stars uh oh my god what is her name from moonrise kingdom that girl. The, the girl from that who hasn't been in much else. That's why I don't remember her name. Um, but, like, it's a coming-of-age drama in 1960s Oklahoma about two teens who are kind of falling in love, two two young women. And it is just a really cute, beautiful movie that's not going to get Oscar love. Certainly not. Um, it's going to get no love. It got no love when it was dumped on VOD earlier this year. No one saw it. So I would I would urge people to check that out. And the other one is something that I think Dave may have seen, Uh, David definitely did, Feels Good Man. Did you see Feels Good Man? Oh, the documentary about
0: Pepe the Frog.
2: Yes, it's definitely one of the best documentaries I've seen all year. I think it... um You know, I'm really glad that we elected Joe Biden so that we don't have to wonder how we elected Donald Trump a second time. Um, Mm -hmm. But it certainly explains why we did the first time, I think. It really is about Internet culture. It's about 4chan, 8chan, the depths of memification when hate becomes so intense that it's uncontrollable and people don't even know why they're hating this hard. Um, And it all centers on uh, an artist whose cartoon frog got away from him. And you can try, and he tries to get it back during the movie, and it totally fails because it's impossible. Um, what a saga! Even if you live extremely online, I think that you would really enjoy seeing "Feels Good Man," which actually gets to like animate Pepe, and he's happy and dancing with his furry friends and rainbows, and uh, you almost feel like Pepe could be reclaimed after watching this movie. But certainly not; he will be a hate symbol to the end of time, and it's really
3: oh, quite depressing. It's a, it's a really it's a really good documentary, everything Pat just said. But do you think, like I, I saw it at Sundance or, or just before Sundance. And now after everything that we've put through through 2020, I wonder if, now you know, the Q is on the rise or maybe now on the decline. But there's a lot of imagery that's associated with that. It's the imagery that comes with COVID. Has Pepe lost some of its potency? Like, is there, is there more mm. of a chance for it to be reclaimed now because it doesn't have quite the same poisonous? No. no. Okay. Aww. Well,
2: D- D- Dave, what do you think? Could Pepe be reclaimed? No. There you go. I mean, mean, uh,
0: there's more of a chance it could disappear now, but reclaiming it will inevitably backlash into hate symbolism.
3: Yeah. I think, to be fair, whenever I see it in benign tweets, like people replying to me not in a hateful way and they're just using the Pepe, it always, the, the first reaction is like an intense Fear, like anti-Semitism, it's like going through the rolodex right. of of the hate that could be involved in this, and then at the end of the day, if all those systems clear, I am like, okay, well, it was strange that it's you use too this.
2: triggering. You'll yeah. always think of this moment if you see it, so I don't think it can divorce that feeling, unfortunately. And I think feels good man makes a good case why about the kind of psychic energy that was imbued in this symbol. And yeah, I think like, all you can do is make something Akira. new and try and wash it away. Akira. <laughs> Thank mm-hmm.
1: Um okay so last week the Critics Choice Awards of which uh, I'm a member patches is a member I don't think anyone else on this is Wait a I member. think David's a member David are you in the BFCA?
2: Of course. Never miss I knew it. it. Uh,
1: so the BFCA which we were all proud members of and know everything going on with uh, announcing first ever <laughs> super awards, which is a, a award show that will be an actual award show that will air in January dedicated to superhero television and movies and also genre. Movies uh, I want to clarify
3: we all learned about this via a press release at the same time as everyone. No, else. no we
1: did we not. Didn't. I was on the nomination Thank committee, you. that's where it was going, and I saw okay. the call for people what? to be in on the nomination <laughs> committee. It will be. Uh, a special hosted by Kevin Smith and Danny Fernandez on the CW on January 10th. Uh, maybe that's when we'll do our top 10s to time with the Super Awards. <laughs> um, I mean, obviously, it's a weird year to choose to do this. It's a year in which there has not been a Marvel movie. A very uh, weird
0: year, for
2: sure.
1: Wonder Woman, I guess, technically would qualify, but didn't
0: no, get nominated because... It didn't.
4: I mean, it we didn't know,
1: see it. Yeah, obviously. No one but, has like, seen it. In theory, like if you were to do a superhero award, like Anyway, it's not coming out. No one's seen it. So what you're left with is... A weird series, a weird set of nominees. Patches, you were on the nomination committee for this. You guys worked with what you had. Uh, how did it work? How did you figure out how to come up with this? these awards from the year that we have?
2: Well, I probably can't pull the curtain
1: too far No, I don't want you to give away back. any trade secrets. So the so first three meetings were b- just <laughs> us
2: debating why. <laughs> Lots and of email chains. <laughs> I mean, I think what we ran into here is the the Super Awards have categories for for action movie, superhero movie, sci-fi movie, horror movie. Figuring out uh, there weren't that many movies, <laughs> there weren't that many big good movies coming out in these various categories, and uh, for obvious reasons, the superhero movie stuff, which it was comic book and video game, kind of <laughs> um was were the hardest things to pick. Like what came out, and the and the the nominations are. Uh, pretty much everyone who was in Birds of Prey, uh, pretty much everyone who was in the old guard, and that's about it. And the Disney Plus movie Secret Society of Second Born Royals, which should I see uh, that? Lost me. Oh I, my I have god, not, I have not seen. The Did film. that
3: get nominated
2: uh, in several acting categories? Yes. yes.
3: Patches. Uh, Patches.
2: Look, it... <laughs> that's it. was slim Pickens in the superhero movie category. The comic. I book had category. the
3: unfortunate task of having to watch and review that movie for work, and it is. I mean, I, my heart goes out to everybody involved because they were clearly working with. The I heard it was lesser sky budget. high. What do you think? Uh, I mean, it, that is that is incredibly generous to comp- put it in the same breath as a masterpiece like Sky High. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it, this is like Sky High made on a five dollar bill that somebody found stuck to the bottom of their shoe. It is truly wow. a nothing move. I mean, that, that that alone that it was being nominated for multiple categories is reason enough not to have the awards. But you guys do you. I think
2: it's a tough category for a year without any major blockbuster releases. It, that's that's where we really ran into some problems. And luckily we you know, we we gave that category old guard. We gave that category Birds of Prey, because easily we could have nominated those in the action category, um or even the sci fi category. Oh we, yeah. We were pretty particular the about like what went into which category. And I think that was a good idea because the, the year has been, I wouldn't say as rich as usual with sci-fi and uh, horror movies, but I, I think that our list of nominations and why it is a good idea that the Critics' Choice has done the Super Awards is these kind of look like the MTV Movie Awards uh, at first glance, but I think we're going deeper here, and we're actually giving people who would never get nominated for things awards uh, that they deserve. Like, I... Absolutely love the movie Possessor. Um, did we do we talk about Possessor? Has anyone seen Possessor on this call? David, Possessor, I've seen it. Yeah, this is Brandon Cronenberg's newest movie. People should absolutely run out and see this. It's disgusting. It's it's just it's a it's definitely a sci-fi movie. First, uh, it stars Andrea Riseborough as someone who. I mean, she is the possessor. She gets, like, plugged in to a machine that allows her to take over people's bodies, and she usually is setting them up to kill someone and then kill themselves, and she's like a secret agent, essentially. And, but it's very Cronenbergian, which I guess is a trait that is passed down from elder Cronenbergs to younger Cronenbergs. Yeah, it's a, it's a patrilineal
1: to... trait, actually. Yeah.
2: <laughs> how should we refer to Brandon Cronenberg? Is he just Cronenberg? Is he B. Cronenberg? Is he the younger the new Cronenberg? I don't know how to really talk about a son, a Spawn, who
0: has gone off and done
2: his own thing. I, I don't think we anyway, have to important. put it in the context of David Cronenberg. <laughs> yeah. I don't
0: know. These are the things it's we the think it, about. think just use his name like a, like a
2: person. But um, Possessor is all over our science fiction category. Palm Springs is all over our science fiction category. I like, seeing Palm one Springs. One of the best movies of the year. One of the best ensembles of the year. Like, everyone got nominated for that movie. Andy Samberg. Um, Chris, uh, Kristen, Milioti, Milioti. And, and J.K. Simmons. We put it. We gave him a nomination. And yeah, getting like, getting
1: him in for best villain in a movie. I like that. Might be my favorite category of this whole thing because you're you're getting in a lot of uh, all the all the genres together.
2: You get Jim Carrey. You get Hillary Swank from The Hunt. These people are going to go overlooked at the Oscars, and that's always. I mean, look, the Oscars ran into a stupid problem a few years ago when they started talking about the the popular. Award um, or the popular Oscar, and like, what does that mean? And can we can they get more important movies in the nominations? And it shouldn't be that difficult. It should just be that the Oscars should open their hearts to movies like these, and especially this year. You'd think more of these nominations will cross over with the Oscars, and I don't expect it to. So uh, maybe maybe something like the Super Awards could be uh, the middle ground between the MTV Movie Awards, which are a waste of time, and Actual consideration for genre performances. Um, I feel
0: like uh, there isn't that much of a gap between the MTV Movie Awards and what you're pitching. Something you just threw away is a waste of time. To like total waste of time.
1: This is. I mean, th- if you we guys, are guys rec- had the best we're kiss recognizing category. things.
0: The uh, the Oscar. Well, that's what I think. That's the the slight difference. I think what you're saying, Patches, is, is this is an admirable step for a debut of something. But, like, if you have. If you're going to, like, limit the pool of movies, either by calling it. Changing its focus to something like the Superhero Awards, or by the fact there's, like, a pandemic going on, I think specificity is where it reigns, because you don't want to have an asterisk nest to best something. You want to have an award you fucking deserve, no matter what year it is. I was definitely.
2: Also running into an experience that I think we all observe from the outside, but it's more frustrating from the inside, which is, like, you have to sell people on these nominations. You have to sell people. You're trying to court votes. I was having, like, a mini Oscar campaign within our voting branches being, <laughs> like, "I, uh, our action movie category is—I I don't want to say it's a disgrace—
1: Wow. But wow. It doesn't
2: it does not contain multitudes. It does not contain the spectrum of action that I know to exist in the world where South Korea and places all over the world are like making good action movies. A lot of them pop up on Netflix and you'd never even know it unless you were going to the people who are connoisseurs of this stuff and following them and getting recommendations because, you know, why isn't Scott Adkins uh, nominated in Best Actor for an action movie? He should be. He's the only one who's kicking ass on, like, a three-month schedule. He has a new movie every other month. It's incredible. Um, But no, we have actually The Five Bloods is one of our best action movies of the year. And The Five Bloods is a really good movie, and Delroy Lindo is nominated for Best Actor in an action movie for The Five Bloods. Absolutely not. I'm sorry. Is The Five Bloods an action movie? I just kind of threw my hands are up at this. There are
1: gunfights in it.
2: There's like two gunfights in it, I guess. I mean, I, I would be more concerned by the understand. fact that there's
1: eight nominations in the best action movie category. That feels like too many.
2: The, the well, the, the the votes were split. That's were very democratic, I, but I
3: um, I truly uh I can't be bothered care about any of this i mean so we have are i, not I just of don't know on this david uh, no i just uh all due respect to the broadcast from critics association but i i i, I just so i better. feel like why have you i don't personally understand the reason to have sub or categories i mean the saturn awards <laughs> for example are sort of their own thing they're their own entity it's their own community and i yeah, but we can like box that out and they suck but but why have um you know in addition to Well, I think for the reason that
0: that Padgett was talking about and why they have like the Hugo Science Fiction Awards and not just, you know, like you have to win a Pulitzer Prize or fuck you. Like there's a specific, (laughs) there's specifics, I think, in recognizing notable achievements in a group of things. It's just in order to deal with that being not a large pool of like all movies, I think you have to get very specific so you aren't, like casting a wide net, because then you end up with something like eight movies that may or may not even be action, you know, nominated for, for I, best I would movies. just...
3: I guess the other I the would other so much is, rather you... just have... broaden the tent for the main ceremony and let these movies in, not by ghettoizing them into their own categories at the big award show by But it's a chicken-the-egg thing. ...reframing how do you... the way that we think about them.
2: How do you put pressure... How do you put critical pressure on something like the Oscars that does... It's both worthless, as we talk about on this podcast a lot, but also people, the mainstream, will recognize like, oh, these are the good are, movies because they're nominated for the Oscars. We are less. How do you than, create? How do you create critical pressure? Uh, we know for a fact that award season is engineered. Have a, I feel like to have I'm like living a on.
3: I, listen, I'm not saying that one movie had the power and one award season had the power to undo all these things that you're talking about, but it does feel a little perverse to me that we are just a few months removed from Parasite winning Best Picture at the Academy Awards, uh, and we're having this conversation now. I mean, we are here we are ta- shit-talking Hillbilly Elegy and laughing out of the awards conversation while waiting for films like The Five Bloods to legitimately rise in Oscar talk and not just at, you know, the third grade whatever awards. And, um, you know, th- these things are... I mean, the I'm not BS. saying you're they're happening over... Record. I, I try to fix every awards group that I'm in, and BFCA is <laughs> yeah. one of the few. I try to. Fix, do you get to like, vote on this? I don't quotes. even know.
2: Do you guys vote on the whole body vote? I on assume the Super so. Awards?
1: I voted on the documentary awards. But yeah, I assume I it assume works so, the same too. way. Yeah, we just honored
2: documentaries. David, should we? Should we ostracize them? Should we? Sequester well, them? I, them? I, I like, want to get back. Why I do think, we have documentary I, awards? I, well,
3: I think it's been really encouraging. On the flip side of that, to see that more, you know, with our archaic uh, best foreign language rules that are very provincial and limiting, still, it's been encouraging to see more foreign countries submit documentaries for their uh, candidates for the best foreign language film of the year, best international picture, I guess we call it now, um, with good reason. And that's been really encouraging because it's been moving people towards understanding that documentaries shouldn't be segregated into this sort of like lesser, more esoteric category, but are narrative films in their own right? Can be anyway, as much as anything else, um, and if the rhetoric we have is un—it's uh, just ill-equipped to deal with the reality of what films are and how they work. Uh, so I would rather see things moving in that direction rather than further consecrate the segregation between these movies.
0: Here are the awards that I want to be at the superhero uh, awards. I want—I want a best picture in the genre. Now, you could widen the we genre as much as you want. I want uh, costuming. Mm -hmm. Because you're never going to get a competitive superhero costuming gig to something like a period piece or an Oscar bait like costuming design movie. Wait, but like
3: Black Panther won the Oscar for best costumes like two years ago.
1: But like David, yeah, I feel I just, like you're saying this is the Oscars are the only award that actually matters. And I think what yes, Patches is, is saying is no, this is an opportunity I, to give a, a wide range of awards to a I'm, just, right, right, I'm just trying David, to counter the my, argument take, I'm just trying
3: to counter the argument pick. that these movies aren't recognized by the Oscars. That's all.
1: Take my
0: third pick. Um, best male and female stunt performances. Ooh, this not, so this came up in our conversations that next year we will have to present a stunt award. I don't know.
2: I think
1: I that's a great idea. Table, because
0: yeah, it, why? Why have a like an action genre based thing and not take the first step to the I
3: Academy Award? That's taken, a great idea. the like stunt that. award should be uh, should be an Oscar, and also because it would encourage people to do more practical stunt work. they would think.
0: Mm-hmm. But, and I also think there should be an award for pre-visualization and storyboarding.
3: Uh, Mm, I I, I, I cannot I cannot abide that I'm
0: talking about superhero awards I'm not talking about establishing Oscars but if I have like a genre category there are certain things in genre movies that I think are more difficult and maybe aren't recognized in the same way that you know like comedies
2: giant beam shooting down from the sky why why not just have
3: why not just have a uh, storyboard artist? Award show for the storyboard artist union if such thing exists. Um, I mean, they have but now you're profile. suggesting
1: ghettoizing things again, David. I think, I I think, it's, I I think it's a,
0: think it's well, a team it's not, effort, and I think it's, it's, it's like sometimes get storyboard, it. sometimes it's previs. There's a previs editor that's cutting all those things together. People do voice lines. I think you do it, it for a team. We
3: we do have uh, you know every group like the costume designers, the production editors do all have their own awards. Yeah, uh, you know, separate from the Oscars. But there, it's just a matter of saying that one kind of film, a whole genre of film, is separate from this. conversation. It's fine if you want to spread the love, and the people who made these movies are happy to receive them. When it becomes just another cog in the award season death march, I it feels uh, well. Like hot wasn't that me, inherent?
0: it's but... oh, so from how I understand how this came about, at least from our conversation of it, is um, a critics association like went to patches. Is like we need some nominees. Like, I don't, there's no decision, I think, at any point that any of us were like, hey, do we need another award show that Kevin Smith hosts? I feel like that would have been an easy question to say no oh, to. Well,
3: <laughs> well they, they, I, it sounds like this is an email that I may stopped. have missed, that they, they sent out the invitation to participate in this process to all members of the BFCA, and that Patches uh proactively elected to participate because I
2: thought I could make change. Yeah. I yeah. thought I could get G. <laughs> Kiz's uh Lupin the First movie into oh boy. an action. Um, have you seen it? Oh, and you did? I have.
3: It's yeah, great. It's not it's great. A good instead action. what I wish I could is, that
0: in theaters. What instead of what I picture happening is Patches sitting there in a room full of uh, critics of color being like, But the Five Bloods just isn't an action movie. That's how I picture the whole thing actually going down. Come on, <laughs> no, I just think it's funny. I think it's funny. Um, Tenet got nominated.
3: Good, uh, good. Oh, boy. I have to talk to you guys about something vaguely Tenet related. Not for sound design, I done. When we're done.
1: Should we talk about Wonder Woman, though, before we get off on tangents? Yeah, in,
2: did Wonder Woman get nominated? We, we, I mean, we asked Warner Brothers for Wonder Woman screeners to consider it for the Super Awards, and we were denied. <laughs> so no, Wonder Woman is not in contention. We didn't think it was coming out. I didn't think it was coming out a week ago. Yeah, yeah that's and recent it's news. it's suddenly coming out.
0: It's changing the Super Awards forever. <laughs> what are we going to do? We're going to get an HBO uh, Max release of uh, Wonder Woman on Christmas. Christmas Wonder Woman. That's the news. That's um, the news. Is this the end it's, of times?
3: It's too bad. I, I don't, I you know, I, I may have said this on this podcast before, but uh, I don't think so. I think the only, the real risk is movie theaters going out of business, but I do think that if uh, they aren't... Hasn't that if, always been the risk? Of course, but I mean, talking about like, you know, the paradigm shift of these bigger movies going straight to streaming, I don't see that as being a permanency change if there are still movie theaters to play first run movies on the other side of this thing. I think that there's a, a false logic out there that once you uh the to- the toothpaste is out of the tube so to speak and movies like borat 2 and wonder woman 1984 um are going straight to these streaming platforms mulan and so forth that you'll never be able to get people to pay for uh first run movies again i think that is deeply incorrect i think that you know people assign value to entities and commercial properties and so forth uh, to content based on how it's presented to them and that once we have a tiered system that is reintroduced and their movie theaters and so forth and tenant to whatever the fuck comes out um, and it's only in theaters people will go see it and people want to go to theaters and theaters are not competing against vod so much as theaters are com- competing against other activities that you can do out of the house on a weekend night so I, I don't think that this is a problem, and I really hate when people frame the conversation that way. Um But it's but that entirely seem
2: totally true because I feel like I feel like video markets have slowly hurt theater business too. Like when HD TVs came out. I feel like more the we saw a decline in movies for adults in that category where people, where older people were like, they don't make movies for me, so I don't go. Or like, I don't need to go because I have a movie playing at Does home. Does
3: the, the theatrical experience need to be improved so that people actually enjoy going to it and feel as if they're hard-earned money and increasingly more of it is well spent when they go out? Absolutely. However, uh, you could look at some of the grosses for movies. Unfortunately, all of them are kind of movies of the same kind over recent years. But also Parasite making $60 million and other movies like that, even when the floor is dropped out on specialty box office, that there is still an appetite for that um, enough to sustain that industry and with room for improvement that needs to be taken advantage of. But I just don't think that the, the, the way this is being framed in terms of like, well, once Wonder Woman goes to, to home video, um, well, I, I don't think that's just the way it's going. I don't think forward. there's
2: a way to make a Wonder Woman movie for home video, yeah, the financial. I don't think you can make a Wonder Woman movie for HBO Max. This is not what they want to do.
3: That is correct. Yes, yeah, I think they you'll are see... unloading
0: it in a time where their profit window seems big enough for them to get a subscriber. That it is. This close to whatever they could get by rolling it off as a loss and just writing. You it can off. make a secret society but
2: of second-born royals for. If the <laughs> theatrical <actual laughs> experience video. goes
3: away, the biggest sort of franchise-related content you will get will be on par with the Mandalorian. Uh, you will no longer see the true temples and blockbusters, and for better or worse, I mean, I'm not going to miss a lot of those. Movies,
0: I mean, but, have you watched um, the Mandalorian recently? You're saying there, it's really good. There'd be no difference essentially, but that's because uh, well, that's Disney's a pivoting streaming a entirely. Concept. Oh yeah. Um, if you wanna be really scared, look at look at Disney. But I like c- this I'm not I
3: could not I, I just really could not care less about the Mandalorian. I I, I think it's interesting as an example for what the the us model us. could be. This you know, whole have segment. you have something like the Queen's Gambit and the Undoing on HBO and all these things that in a different time would just be two and a half hour movies that are now stretched out into eight hour series and seven hour series, and we've talked about this before. Um, and with mandalorian you have that happening in a more like geek friendly we're hitting every context. existential
2: conversation in this but
3: i don't the oscars the yeah. theatrical experience
2: the movie uh, well
3: they're the all TV. they're all tied together i mean i think it's always a mistake to have a conversation about the oscars separate from the market of what makes oscar like movies and other high minded films for adults uh, financially viable so I mean, all of these things are interconnected. Katie, what do you All think? about money at the end of
1: the day. Wait, Dave, are you implying that Disney is pivoting away from the theatrical experience, like as a product of anything other than the pandemic? Like yes. Like, when They've this is that. when this is over, they're not going to be trying to make temples anymore.
0: They no, they will make temples The poles balance will be different. The balance will be shifted completely. The tent poles have uh, hit a plateau on them for theatrical release value mm-hmm. that they can reliably hit. And so now they're wondering how they can extend the tail when they recapture that property. So something like a theatrical release something is now part that they don't have control over. And because they don't have control over it, they don't know how to monetize it like they used to. But now this Disney Plus thing has opened up this entirely new avenue where they could regain control of stuff. The whatever we hear about on Disney about Disney Star on December tenth, which I think is their update of their next like little service. But some people are suspecting it's going to be uh, starting to reclaim the Fox properties from Hulu just to get it onto the Disney Plus subscriber base. So they're trying to move wait, wait, wait. all so you're, profits. You're,
1: you're saying that the rumor is that something called Disney Star will launch on December 10th and it will be like grown up Disney Plus?
0: Disney Plus Star? I don't know if it'll launch, but they'll announce that that's like something of their intention. Uh, but basically the idea is now that they've pivoted, wait is this
3: real or is just like Q for nerds
0: <laughs> I mean this is the the latest rumors on the Disney streaming things so I don't know how Q for nerds that is
3: like
1: sensibly at some point like there will be a platform where you can watch like Titanic and Avatar that isn't just
3: like being like jammed around in Hulu yeah it's called cable exactly. It's called
0: VH1. Well, yeah, but, but Disney doesn't own 100% of that, and they do own 100% of the streaming service, so they're going to start transferring their content for there. I don't know what that looks like, but if you pack if you package that with something like Universal's... Uh, Universal? Yeah, the one who's increasingly trying to shorten the theatrical window to, like, 15 yes. days for blockbusters. Yeah. If you pair that with something like Disney+, Plus, then you have, like, Black Widow comes out May 1st and then May twentieth, Black Widow Premier access debuts on Disney Plus or whatever the fuck they're calling it, and like that method might be on a spreadsheet somewhere. You've already captured the premiere audience in theatrical, and then you've just moved up the home release thing. So I think like that's the change. It's going to change blockbusters majorly, but I think what uh, there'll be fewer of them. I think, you think I, but Probably. I think that's
3: a I mean, maybe I'll end up uh, eating these words, but I think that's okay. The real the, the victims there aren't going to be the theaters so much as like the hotel movie services that lose out on that second release window. Um, but I, I think Redbox is Redbox oh, going sure. away. But uh, I think that you know the the theaters are doing much of their business for these bigger movies in the first ten days of release, eighteen days for sure. Um, and that even after that time, there will still be a sizable portion of the audience that would like to see your Captain Marvel twos on a big screen, um, and are willing to pay the premium to do that. But I, I, I think that something like that is a more viable long term solution. But I, I don't think that uh, whatever I, we yeah, I mean not, we've had this conversation I've... so many times in so many different ways. It's just like I, I just get a little a little uh, tense when. Every time there's another example of this because of a pandemic that is, you know, tapping into people's existential fears. Um, But I think and some elements of the way that our world is changing are going to be permanent. But I do think others are a little bit more elastic. And I think companies making these pivots because there is no there are no theaters to open these movies. in.
2: Disney is pivoting to video. video. It doesn't
3: Mm. it doesn't signal anything other than the fact that we are in a uh, pandemic right now and they have I mean Disney's a different release.
2: case though because they're also losing tremendous amounts of money from the parks and yeah they have stated in their investor calls like we're going all in on streaming and I think after disasters of the live-action remakes and stuff you'll see that I mean it could be good for the whole market but Disney kind of crumbles a bit and has to retreat to streaming because then other movies will have maybe a easier time and Marvel won't be the... Maybe Marvel is the only pillar that they'll have and Star Wars will just be a Disney Plus enterprise at this point. But my question for Dave is if um, Doctor Strange in uh, Multiverse of Madness will be a miniseries before it becomes a movie, how are they shooting... Marvel is just continuing to shoot movies in Atlanta
0: for, for a distribution system that is not going to accommodate them. Maybe? I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, man, I don't know how it's gonna work out. It seems weird they're shooting this one so early, but you know, we'll had
2: invested. I shouldn't have invested in Marvel. I, you know, I gave them all my money. Wait, with make, money? Uh, no, I didn't. I
0: was I didn't. gonna say, like, uh, that probably turned out fine, depending on when you invested in Marvel. I'm a producer
2: on <laughs> It's not a.
0: It's not an unsafe stock. It's just gonna <laughs> make bad oh. movies occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anywho, uh, movies. Uh, let's 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 end it. Super awards. Super awards. My goodness, we found super a way
1: movies. to do a segment about superhero movies, despite them being the superhero <laughs> movies.
2: That was the point. <gasps> That's the great thing about the Super Awards.
1: <laughs> that does it for this week's show. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, tell people who you are.
2: I'm Matt Patches, senior editor at. Polygon.com, home of the Horse Girl canon. Go hey! read our amazing content. We published such a cool package this week about horse movies and horse TV shows. I should have taken time to talk about that. Um, yes, and we are uh, we also have a website fightingintheroom.com, where you cannot read about horse girl movies but you can listen to episodes and share them with your friends and that's just
3: as good. Uh, hi, I'm David. Ehrlich, uh, you can find me on David Ehrlich. You can find all of us on iTunes at Fighting on the War Room. Uh, fighting in the War Room. We are not fighting on the War fighting Room. Fighting on have, the War Room. We've we <laughs> sent episode it number is this into the War Room, uh, and that's where you should do. Leave us a review. later it on the show. It'll be uh, an enriching experience. Maybe enriching.
0: I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can follow me on Twitter at DA7E. I'm also on a podcast called The Storm, a Lost Rewatch podcast. and We are in the middle of season four of Lost. I have noticed we are getting more listeners after the election. Guys, it's okay to care about frivolous things again. You might actually need it. Come watch Lost with us, The Storm, a Lost Rewatch podcast.
1: Caring about frivolous things is why I love The Crown. <laughs> uh, I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at vanityfair.com on the Little Gold Men podcast, there, where this week I talked to Armando Iannucci, the writer and director of The Personal History of David Copperfield, which, I, as I said, I loved. You should watch it and listen to that. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Katie Rich, K A T E Y R I C H. And we're all on Twitter at F I T W R, where you can tell Patches what superhero movies he should have nominated, or you can answer this week's lightning round question, which was What are you watching this holiday break? Thank you for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week.
4: You've for perfection, but then go oh, erection. Oh, 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 Baby, I'm done.